say. A minister dies and is waiting in line at the pearly gates of heaven. Ahead of him is a guy who's dressed in sunglasses, a Hawaiian shirt, a leather jacket and jeans. St. Peter addresses this guy. Who are you? So that I may know whether or not to admit you to the kingdom of heaven. And the guy says, I'm Joe Cohen. I'm a taxi driver from New York City. St. Peter consults his list. He smiles and he says to the taxi driver, take this silken robe and golden staff and enter the kingdom of heaven. The taxi driver goes into heaven with his robe and his staff and it's the minister's turn next. He stands up and booms out. I am Joseph Snow, the pastor of Calvary Church for the last 45 years. And St. Peter consults his list and he says to the minister, take this cotton robe and this wooden staff and enter the kingdom of heaven. Just a minute, says the minister. Uh, that man who went in ahead of me, he was a taxi driver and he got a golden, uh, a golden staff and a silken robe. How can this be? Up here, we work by results, says St. Peter. While you preached, people slept. While he drove, people prayed. This evening, we are finishing our, our series in the Psalms. We're in Psalm 118, and this, the title for this evening is Praying Our Salvation. I was really struck, actually, by um, some middle verses in this psalm, and that's where I'm, I'm going to stay. Um, and let me actually find what those middle verses were. Um, which... Here we go. Uh, Verse 19. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. So I'm going to be talking this evening about gates. What is our salvation first? We're talking about praying our salvation. What is our salvation first? Well, let's um, let's think about salvation in terms of it being the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus has died for our sin, that he has taken away anything that would separate us from the love of God, whether that be choice, whether that be ignorance, whether that be um, anything that has happened to us, um, but which has come between us and knowing the living God. Jesus has died on uh, on the cross. He took those things on himself so that we could be uh, reunited with God. And actually all through the story of scripture, we've got this theme of being inside or outside. And I, I just kind of want to draw attention to the inside and outside thing because a gate is a threshold, isn't it? It's a threshold to being inside or outside. You have to go through a gate in order to be inside or outside. So it makes sense to think about this theme through scripture. Our first kind of um, uh, gate, I guess, comes from the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? When God made Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Eden, uh, they were made to enjoy it, to be fruitful and to be free inside of it. And God was roaming, was walking around in the garden, 
uh, and they could just have a conversation with him. There was no barrier or boundary between Adam and Eve and God. Uh, also, I guess we can understand that they were um, their nakedness, the way that they were made without clothes as a symbol of their freedom in God's presence. They weren't aware of um, their selves. They, they didn't have any kind of self-consciousness. Um, they were just in the garden walking with God. There are no barriers, are there, to their relationship uh, with God. But when Adam and Eve choose to disobey God's um, command not to eat from the tree of knowledge, they are thrown out of the Garden of Eden. They have been inside and they're thrown outside. And Genesis 3 talks about the gates being closed behind them. It's a physical place, Eden, and they are no longer in it. They're shut out of the place where God is. God dwells in Eden and they have been shut out of it because they've disobeyed God's commands. Fast forward then uh, to the Exodus and God's people have been enslaved in Egypt under Pharaoh. And God has heard their cry for freedom. He sends 10 plagues on the Egyptians. And this final plague is the plague of death, which kills the firstborn son of every household, which does not have the blood of the lamb on the doorframe doesn't have the blood of the lamb on the threshold the threshold of the home then holds a mark of redemption doesn't it this is um, the mark of protection the blood of the lamb is is how God's people are marked out from the other homes that are being affected by this 10th plague and this blood of the lamb becomes the promise of freedom not just freedom from the Egyptians, but that one day they will be truly free by the blood of the lamb. And not just a physical sheep lamb, um, but the lamb of God, who is Christ. He will become the threshold by which they enter into freedom. And so for God's people, through the, the next bit of their wandering, particularly through the desert, um, God's presence is found on a mountain, but only Moses is allowed up the mountain. So you've got a kind of physical threshold of having to yomp up the mountain to meet God. And then the presence of God is in the tabernacle, um, in, in a tent, and that's only uh, a special part of the tent, which again, only the priests can go into. And then later on, when the temple is built, the Temple of Solomon, uh, God's presence is in the Holy of Holies, which only one priest is allowed to go into once a year. So we've got quite a lot of physical barriers. There's quite a lot of inside and outside, isn't there? But just before we get to Jesus, I was reminded of the story of Ruth. When Boaz consults the elders and the other kingsman redeemer about marrying Ruth, he goes to the city gates. So what's happened in the story is that uh, Ruth and her mother-in-law Naomi have lost everything. Their um, Naomi's son has died and her husband has died. And that means that Ruth's, Ruth's husband has died also. They've lost everything. They have no chances um, and they, have, they just have nothing going for them, basically. But Boaz uh, says that he uh, will provide for them. He will marry Ruth and therefore he will redeem them. 
And where does he go to make uh, this agreement? He goes to the city gate. In fact, he does it with a shoe or a sandal. That apparently is um, how people in biblical times made agreements. That's not personally how I do it, but um, that's fine. <laughs> uh, there, he accepts not just Ruth, but he accepts Naomi as well. And he takes on all of the trouble, all of the hardship, all of... Um, the bad things that have happened to them, basically. He takes them onto himself, doesn't he? And he says that he will redeem their, their situation. By marrying Ruth, he gives her a new life. And all this happens at a city gate. And their redemption is like a threshold, isn't it, into a new life. Things change for them from there. And then I guess we can't ignore the significance of Christ's words in John 10, where he says, I am the gate. He said, I'm the good shepherd. Uh, but we also sometimes miss that uh, one of the other I am sayings in that same passage is, I am the gate. Jesus uses that prefix, I am, which sends uh, the people who are listening, the Jewish people who are listening all the way back to Moses and the burning bush. They think, gosh, uh, I am is what, uh, Yahweh said, the God of um, the, the holiest God, the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, I am, gosh, and Jesus is claiming to be Yahweh. Uh, they can't quite get that in their heads. And now he is saying that he is the gate. He's saying that he is the threshold between us and God. And that is what we understand uh, Christ to have done, isn't it, on the cross. He dies on the cross as Jesus clings with one hand almost. Um, if you picture, I can't do this again. Last time I used this metaphor, I had a handheld mic as well. Um, <laughs> you picture Jesus out on the cross with both of his arms outstretched. Uh, in one hand, he clings onto the Father. He clings onto the holiness of God. And with the other hand, he clings onto us in all our brokenness, in all our choice and ignorance where we have turned away from God. And he says, I refuse to let you two go. I refuse for you uh, to be distant from each other any longer. It's my desire, it's God's desire that we would be uh, reunited, that we would be reconciled together. And it takes all of Christ to do that. It's his whole, his whole life is put on the line as he does that. But we know, don't we, that that's not the end of the story. Jesus didn't say in John 10 that he was going to be the doormat. <laughs> he said that he was the gate. God raised Christ to life again so that his resurrected body could dwell again on earth and then ascend into heaven, thus making that sacrifice complete, thus mirroring the way that the Jews have been making sacrifices in the temple uh, year after year. And then hilariously, I guess, um, in those post-resurrection experiences, Jesus just starts popping up in places, doesn't he? He doesn't need to go through gates or doors or anything. He just kind of appears in rooms. <laughs> and then the final piece of our, our puzzle, really, about being inside and outside, about um, gates and thresholds in Scripture, is that in Revelation, um, it says that in the city of God, there will be no temple, there will be no um, specific 
um, spot where God's presence is. But there also won't be a sun or a moon because the glory of God will be the light of that place. The freedom and the dwelling place of God will be with his people again. And there's a freedom and a lightness to that place and that space, isn't there? So our salvation story is one of God removing every barrier, everything that stood between us so that we could be in relationship with him. And so that as we um, fix our eyes on eternity, we remember that there will be nothing that will separate us again when we see Jesus. And so the title of this um, this evening was Praying Our Salvation. So um, I'm going to talk about praying our salvation in reference to three gates, which all come from my life. Um, so keep track of the three. And this, I hope, will help us to think about what it means to pray our salvation, what it means when we um, come, come to God uh, that we might have our salvation in mind, that we might recall that journey that we've been on through scripture of all that God has done for us and what has been accomplished for us in Christ. So the first gate is the gate at the end of the driveway at my parents' vicarage. If I'm honest, most of the time I forget that the gate is even there. Why? Because it's always open. It's never shut. It's always just uh, propped open and you can just walk straight through it. In fact, there's no threshold on the floor. It's not like a, um, I'm not at the vicarage, I'm now at the vicarage. It's just, uh, it's always open um, and you can just freely walk in and out. I guess the gate does mark the beginning of the property, doesn't it? We're no longer standing on common land, but now we're stepping into land ascribed to somebody. But this first thing that I want us to think about when we pray our salvation is that the gate to salvation is always open. It's always open to anyone and everyone. We are invited by God. We're invited by him. We're not forced to step through the gate. But by dying on the cross, Jesus took every barrier that might stop us from coming. Whether that, again, be our sin, our choices, our brokenness, our ignorance. Whether that be um, our culture, our gender or our race. Any other part of our identity that we have given ourselves or someone else has given us. Any other barrier that might exist. Jesus has made it possible to take away all of those barriers. And so as we think about our salvation, we are not forced um, to come to Jesus, to come to God, are we? We're invited. That gate is always open. The opportunity is always open for us to come freely uh, into God's presence. There's one thing that you should know about me as well, that um, on my 18th birthday, I was given um, some very nice suitcases uh, by my grandparents. It's the kind of thing grandparents give you, isn't it? Suitcases. Um, I was about to go um, travelling, so it was actually very helpful. Um, and I decided that there were a very nice set of wheels on these suitcases and that um, I was determined not to use the wheels. Um, so 
even to this day, very stubbornly, I will carry my suitcase wherever I am. I refuse to use the wheels. Um, sorry, Joe, that might mean that you end up carrying... No, it's fine. I'll, I'll carry it myself. <laughs> um, a few years ago when I was in Uganda, we were right down on the southwest border and um, the, uh, the border there is called Gatuna and it's between Uganda and Rwanda and it's a, a no-man's land. And it's quite a kind of um, big bit of no man's land. It's kind of um, a kilometre, kilometre and a half. Um, and we were actually come. We actually came to no man's land at night, which probably wasn't a great idea. Um, and me and all of my stubbornness decided that I would not um, pull my suitcase along no man's land. Um, that actually I was gonna I was gonna carry my suitcase across no man's land because um, it was a bit rocky. It wasn't a very nice road. I didn't want to ruin my wheels. But you've got this picture of me with this huge suitcase. It's in the middle of the night. Um, very determined not to not to put it on the floor, but it is extremely heavy, and I'm I'm lugging it, you know, <laughs> the whole kilometre. And I wonder if that image of um, that kind of uncomfortable heaviness of of lugging something that actually we we surely there's another way of of doing this. Um, that kind of uncomfortable uh, position and posture is almost us as we try and come through that open gate. We've got so much baggage on us. We're holding on to so much stuff which we think is who we are. We think it's um, we think that it's our identity. It might be things that we've given ourselves, things that w- have been put on us. Perhaps um, they might be things that are um, are good and important. Uh, the other the other people think are are good and important, but actually what has happened is um, we we've almost picked up too much baggage to get through what is an open gate. And I'm um, imagining uh, the uh, the eye of the needle, um, as Jesus talks about in the gospel stories. Um, isn't it easier for a camel uh, full of all packed high um, to get through the eye of the needle, which was a very small gate in Jerusalem? easier for a camel to get through the eye of the needle than the Pharisees to get through um, into the presence of God. We have this open gate. Jesus has opened that gate for us and yet um, he offers then to take, to stand at that gate and take those heavy suitcases off us so that we can come freely into the presence of God. So we need not be weighed down by the things that the world has given us that we've picked up along the way, but that we can come freely into God's presence. That gate is always open. So no matter who we are or what we have done, Jesus restores that relationship with God. He says that nothing can separate us, nothing can stop us from going through that gate. It's not like one of those gates at the National Trust. I don't know if you've come across them, but they're on a spring. And so you go through them and then almost as soon as you're through them, they kind of snap back. And it's, yeah, it's a bit awkward, um, particularly if there was someone right behind you. Um, but it's not like a, it's not going to snap back behind you. This gate is free for us to come and to go from God as well. It's, it's a free movement for us because it, this is about our choice. God doesn't force us to go through. So that's the first gate, the gate that is always open. 
the second gate is a gate at my grandparents' house. They live in a little sleepy cottage um, in the Mian Valley on the South Downs National Park. And their front gate is right next to their kitchen window. So as you walk through it, you uh, can see into the kitchen, see who's in there, what they're making. Um, I can always remember as a kid coming back from a dog walk or playing tennis or something with grandpa and grandma's in the kitchen and she's most of the time she's making a cake, which is ace. Um, but so, you know, I can remember like waving to her and her waving back and um, just that warm feeling of, um, of coming home, of coming, coming back. Uh, to somewhere that you know, somewhere that is welcoming, somewhere where someone says, yeah, step inside. It's great to see you. We've missed you. It's, gr- it's great to have you here. We love you. Come in. Our salvation and praying our salvation is like coming home. It's like being welcomed home. God was in Christ to welcome us back to himself as his children that we would be uh, his children welcomed back into his home where he is our creator and our sustainer and as our father he longs to be with us to restore us to himself and to restore the identity that he gave us at cre- in creation to be free to be joyful and uh, to be fruitful He desperately wants to welcome each one of us home to tell us that he's got something good cooking. He's got some good plans for us. To tell us that even though we might have experienced some tough things or some difficult things that we might have been through a lot, that he's desperate to hold his arms open and to embrace us and to welcome us back. I wonder when we pray our salvation, when we come to pray, whether we might imagine it's like coming into God's house where he's laid up a big meal for us. The table is set, the food is there and he's pleased to see you. He longs to talk with you and spend time with you, to listen to you and to share his heart with you. This is our relationship with God, isn't it? Praying our salvation is like coming home, being welcomed home. Remembering that once we were far off, but now we are at home with Christ. So the gate isn't simply open, but it is also uh, the gate to home. And thirdly, the third gate from my life is the gate that may or may not have been stolen by the circus. There is a gate at the back of our vicarage garden in Hartley Whitley, which um, mysteriously went missing when the circus were in town. And so we can only presume (laughs) that the circus needed a gate. (laughs) I don't know why you'd need a gate. Anyway, it wasn't returned. It just completely disappeared. And uh, that is how our family understand um, where the gate went. Uh, So finally, praying our salvation. And this is my last thing. There are things in our life that can be taken from us, aren't there? We, um, you don't need me to tell you that. (laughs) We've just been through a pandemic. 
There's plenty of things that we have lost, rhythms and patterns of life which we no longer um, have available to us. We've lost our ability to sing in church, haven't we? And we will get that back eventually. But we're dealing with a huge amount of loss. I don't need you to tell, I don't need me to tell you that um, because we've experienced loss, haven't we? As this church, we have um, lost friends and family and particularly in this congregation, we've lost Tom. And so uh, when we read the blessing in Romans where um, it says that nothing in all of creation, whether in heaven or on earth, neither angels nor demons, life nor death can separate us from the love of God. That is praying our salvation. Because we believe that nothing can separate us from the love of God. That everything could be taken from us, but God cannot be taken from us. That nothing and nobody and no situation can take God from us. Nothing can stop the love of God and no one can take away that relationship that we have with God. No one can take away the open gate. No one can close that gate. No one can stand in front of that front door at the home and say, no, you can't come in. The gate is open and the door is open the table is laid and it is for you. And God is waiting to welcome you in. That's what it means to pray our salvation, to know those things, to know that God is uh, there and um, uh, that he is willing and ready for you to come home. And that nothing will take that from you. Nothing will take uh, that choice and that freedom from you. So this evening we're going to um, uh, take this adventure of communion, which um, frankly the whole of the Church of England is trying to work out. So if we manage to do it well this evening, that's great. We've won. <laughs> we can report back to Adrian and say, yes, boss, we've done it. But this evening, as we come to communion, we remember uh, we remember our salvation. We remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross, that he uh, refused to let go of the holiness of the Father and he refused to let go of us in our brokenness and that he was determined that we would be reconciled and that that is always open and available to us, uh, that God's welcome is for all of us all of the time and that nothing can separate us from it.